This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cavanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. If you could find a seat, that would be great. And uh, as you're finding a seat, if you could open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, uh, that's in the New Testament. That's going to be towards the, uh, towards the end of your Bible a little bit. The book of Romans, and uh, we're in chapter 12. And we are doing a series on the theme of community right now. And last week we looked at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to pick up right where we were and look at verses 9 through 16 this morning. So we're at Romans 9, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 12, verses 9 through 16. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture in particular. And we thank you of what it communicates to us about you and about your calling upon our lives. And I just pray today that you would speak to us and that you would expand our vision, expand our expectations, expand our goals and what we're investing our lives in as we hear what you have to say to us through this passage. God, we thank you that you have saved us in Jesus Christ and that you've joined us to your people and that you've given your people a great calling. And we just pray that that would be lived out and expressed here, Lord, in a, in a very meaningful way. So, Lord, glorify yourself. I pray most of all you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ and his work today as we gather, that our hearts would be stirred by your grace. Speak to us, our Lord. Give us ears to hear and give us hearts inclined to obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I am, I'm somewhat fascinated by buzzwords. Uh, I, I sort of like them. Um, I don't like to use them necessarily, but I'm, I'm somewhat fascinated by them. A buzzword is something that's trendy. It's usually trendy in nature, not very lasting. Like the gospel would not be a buzzword. That'd be the, that'd be the anti-buzzword. That, that's a forever word. But, but trendy words are words that sort of uh, can sound technical uh, sometimes they could describe a concept or an idea, um, and they're, they usually have a short shelf life. Um, actually, community is kind of a buzzword in the church. That's, we're doing a series based on that, so I'm not altogether uh, opposed to them. Uh, but that's kind of a word, you know, community, that, that sort of thing. And I remember when we started this church about five years ago, um, and I remember one of the buzzwords that was out then, and I'm sure it's out now, but a lot of churches, and I use this word, so I'm not mocking anyone who did it any more than I'm mocking myself. Um, but a, a word that was sort of trendy and in was authentic. It may not have had the C sound quite that hard, but authentic. Everybody was going to be authentic. I'm not quite sure what that meant. Could you wear jeans to church and be real and authentic and casual? But authentic was a word. And it was really in for a church to say, like a distinctive core value of us is being authentic. We're trying to be an authentic people, preaching authentic gospel. And, and, and some, sometimes churches, we would say authentic because that's something that we held that was a passion and a value and was unique to us. Somehow, as if the church down the street was saying, we're passionate about insincerity. You know, as if others were saying, we're all about hypocrisy. Join us as we fake it for the Lord, you know. 
as if anybody believed that. So being authentic was something unusual. But really being authentic isn't something that should be unusual at all. Being genuine should be, well, genuine. And the passage we're looking at today doesn't use authentic as sort of a buzzword, but it uses the word genuine, meaning authentic, as a theme of the passage. The theme of this passage is, let love be genuine. Verse 9, let your love be genuine. And Paul is showing here what genuine love looks like in community, that is, among a a group of Christians, a church, a people that are called to walk out their lives together, that kind of a community. Paul shows what that sincere love looks like here. Now, when we read the passage, and we're going to look at it verse by verse, word by word, when we read this passage, it, it's sort of a, uh, a rapid-fire list of commands. And so there'll probably be more commands than normal in this sermon because the sermon's just going to take the shape of the passage. Hopefully every sermon takes the shape of the passage, but uh, I certainly want to reflect what's in the text here. But they're not disconnected or random ideas and commandments. They're connected, and they're connected somewhat with this idea of community and others. For instance, look at uh, verse 10. Sometimes you can understand what a passage is about by repetition of certain words or phrases. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in, uh, in showing honor. Look at verse 16, live in harmony with one another. So there's this repeated one another nature to what's being communicated here. Uh, verse 10 again, love one another with brotherly affection. A brother or sister is someone who's a fellow Christian. So it's, it's, it's action toward fellow Christians is what this passage is about in a community. Look at verse 13. Um, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's a description of Christians. Uh, every Christian is by by Bible terms, considered a saint. That is one who is a, a holy one, set apart to God. Every Christian is a saint. So it's talking about the saints, the people of God. So I'm going to mention this later. The scripture has a lot to say about loving those who are outside of the church, loving those that don't know Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about that. But that's not this passage, and that's not this Sunday. That's for another Sunday and another passage. Here, the love being expressed in a in an initial fashion anyway, is love among the people of God. And he starts off with this command, let love be genuine, and then he's going to walk through what genuine love looks like. First of all, let's look at that phrase. Let love be genuine. We could say authentic. We could say sincere. It, the word literally means without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine, that is, without hypocrisy. And this word hypocrisy is an interesting one because it was a word that was initially used uh, in the original text to describe a, a play actor, someone who was uh, on a stage in a play. Uh, they would be referred to as what we would, kind of a derivative word for us would be a hypocrite. Um, it would be someone who's putting on a mask, someone who's playing a role, which wouldn't have been bad if you were, a, um, if you were an actor. But we use that word... Uh, in a pejorative term, we use that word in a negative word. A hypocrite is something bad. And so what's being communicated here is don't be a play actor. Don't be a stage actor. Don't put on a mask. What he's saying is the church is not a show. The church is not an act. The church is not where people come and act one way as if they're on a stage in a play playing a role that's disconnected from their real life. I mean, a really good actor is someone who can play a role in a film or on a play that when you meet him in person, you're like, whoa, you were nothing like the guy in the movie or the guy in the play. That's a good actor because he or she could um, could foster believability in something that wasn't even real. And that's what he's saying here. Let love be genuine. That is, let it be without hypocrisy. Don't let your love church be something that is a show, something that is put on, something that is fake. But let it be real. Let it be sincere. The, the church is a place where real love is to be on display. Not shallow, but something that is substantive. It's love in action. And it's motivated by the work of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 12, <coughs> where Paul says, excuse me, in view of God's mercy. 
or by God's mercy. Offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Because Christ sacrificed himself and died in our place as our substitute, because Jesus Christ loved us enough to endure the wrath of the Father so that we could be forgiven, because Jesus Christ suffered inexplicably in our place, demonstrating greater love than had ever been or ever will be seen, because of his love in view of his mercy, offer yourself to him. Be transformed, Paul said, by the renewing of your mind in verse 2. And when our minds are being renewed and our lives are transformed and we are living as a living sacrifice before God, that is not just ethereal, that's not just some concept, that is real. And the way it plays itself out is genuine, non-hypocritical love. Love genuinely. Well, what does it mean to love genuinely? Well, he starts off with hate. That's kind of a surprise. But look at verse 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So love is not just a sentiment, an emotion, a feeling. Love is connected to truth. So love others and distance yourself, oppose, reject sin and Embrace what the scripture commands is obedient to God. Love God, obey God, and oppose evil, oppose sin. That's what genuine love is. So he talks about genuine love. Now what he's going to do in the rest of the passage is express practically genuine love. And here's where we're going to go. Genuine love, first of all, is family love, a family love. He's going to talk about that. Genuine love is a passionate or a fervent love. He's going to talk about that. Genuine love is a sharing love. And lastly, genuine love is a humble love. It's a family love. It's a fervent love. It's a sharing love. And it's a humble love. That's what genuine love is. And he walks that through here with great uh, application and clarity. Verse, first of all, family love. Verse 9, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, a word that can be translated love, two different words that can be translated love are used in verse 10. Love one another is one of them. And the second one is the word translated affection, brotherly affection. So the first one is love one another. The ESV just translates it love. The NIV translates it be devoted to one another, which is a fair interpretation of what that word for love means. It is a devoted love. So love has to do with commitment. Love has to do with devotion. Love has to do right off the bat, not merely with a feeling, not with a sentiment, not with a concept, but it has to do with a practical commitment. Love one another, or as the NIV says, be devoted to one another with, so he's going to clarify that a little bit, with brotherly affection, with brotherly affection. The NIV translates it with brotherly love. It's a different word for love. So there's devoted love. There's family love. We could say brotherly love. Now, the word brother there could be it's it's an inclusive term. It means brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean just guys. It means both uh, brothers and sisters. So what's genuine love look like? Well, it looks like a family be devoted to one another and with a brotherly love, a familial love. Now, you may say, well, my family situation that I grew up in and have experienced isn't love. When I think of family, I think of something very bad, maybe based on your background. And even now, when I think of family, I think of getting together one, once a year in icy silence, which is only broken by arguments. You know, that's the only time we speak. So if you come from a family situation like that, this could be a stretch. But here's the good news. It could be a stretch to understand what he means here. Maybe you didn't have brotherly affection with your siblings. Maybe you had brotherly animosity. Um, well, the good news is that God has placed us in a church where there's plenty of godly families around us. And so if family love is something you're not familiar with, godly family love is something foreign to you, um, you don't, you're not left without example. God has raised up numbers of families all over our church that set a compelling example. They're imperfect. They have faults. They sin towards one another, but the general flavor of their family life is love, a brotherly love, a caring love, a meaningful love. So there are examples around us of what this looks like. Did you know that the most common designation for a Christian in the New Testament is brother? 
It's the most common designation. When the authors of the New Testament write, they usually say, hey, brothers, and again, that's inclusive. It means men and women. Um, it's a generic term. Siblings, uh, brothers and sisters, we could say. That's the most common designation. That our identity right off the bat in the New Testament is those who have a relationship with God as our Father, but that means we have a relationship with those in the church as brothers and as sisters. It's the most common term. Now, our church is built around small groups. We've been talking a lot about that in this week, in these recent weeks. We've been talking about, we call them care groups, but it's where community happens. Community happens in our care group, so that's the goal. And we've been talking about that a lot. And as we look at this passage, I just want to give a word that I hope will be helpful, that a passage like this is, is intended to be viewed and, and understood by us as something that we'd be shooting for, something that we believe God wants to do in our lives, something that by His grace we can grow in. I remember one time talking to someone at the church I pastored prior to here in San Diego, and uh, this was a new person, and they came to me and said something that was very helpful to me. They said, I hear you talking about relationships. I hear you talking about one another. I hear you talking about community. And I'm new here, and I visited a small group or whatever, and I just don't think it's happening. I appreciate the frankness, appreciated the honesty of someone's uh, view. And, uh, but, it, but the light went on for me because I thought, this person's misunderstanding my sermons. When we read a passage like this that we're looking at, genuine love, family, brotherly affection, I am not communicating that this is absolutely descriptive of our church life. That everyone in our church is closely knit in and tied in and has a relationship. And that every time they gather in a family room appropriately named for the care group on Wednesday night, that everybody's coming in, high-fiving, hugs like a family reunion. People are pinching one another's cheeks. You've grown so much. I love you. And it's just rehearsing all the memories. And it's just like family time every time. I'm not communicating that. This passage, I'm not looking at this as, as descriptive of where we are, but as prescriptive of what God calls us to and descriptive of what is already happening in a number of ways in the life of our church but something that God has for us to grow. So we want to think about this as something God has for us. So when we think about, well, when I go to care group, I just don't feel that way. I mean, I walk in and I'm not feeling brotherly affection. Matter of fact, I've been a couple times and I sort of feel like a stranger. I sort of feel at distance. So it doesn't have that kind of warm thought for me yet. Now, maybe your experience is different. Maybe you say, oh yeah, actually I go in, it's far better, far closer than my blood family. But if, if that's you, could, could I ask you a question? Could, could you pray? Could I pray? Could we pray? Could we show up? Could we connect, make an attempt? Could we pray and say, God, I believe you have something more for me. I believe that church life and church experience is to be more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. I believe when I read these phrases, brotherly affection, devoted to one another, I believe you have something more for me to experience. So God, would you do that? Would you put that in my heart? Listen, I don't believe this passage is to tease us or frustrate us. God doesn't put passages of scripture that says, this is what I hold out as a goal, but guess what? It'll never happen for you. <laughs> I don't believe that's God's mocking people on, on the throne saying, How, how's that all working out for you? It looks pretty sorry. You know, I think God puts things like this in the scripture because he desires to work them in our lives and he desires to change our hearts. Can you be open to the idea that God might have more for you relationally than you currently are experiencing or that you have experienced in the past? Is it possible? Maybe you've had a bad church experience in your past. Is it possible that God is a redeeming God and God could turn that around and give you an imperfect experience or you a sinner with other sinners, but an experience that, 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 that reflects this truth? that you could have family life with all its ups and downs. I mean, can we believe God that He could do that? Could, could the Spirit, could the Holy Spirit empower us? I mean, can we ask and pray, Spirit of God, change my heart? Because I don't, not only am I not experiencing this, to tell the truth, I'm not even sure I want this. I, I'm fine being alone. I've got my shows on the DVR that I like to watch when I get home. It's like a lot easier when I don't have to interact with people. 
People are crazy. And this is great if I, in my own craziness, uh, of course, I'm sane, but if I can be by myself, that's just comfortable. That's easy. I just like that. Can you pray and say, God, would you give me the heart that you have in your word? That I would have a heart for your people and obviously for those who don't know Christ as well. But in this sermon, in this passage, could I have a heart to love one another, to be devoted to one another? Lord, could you change my heart? God, could you help me to love like a brother? What does that mean? Love like a brother. Does that mean you go to the men's group at the care group and everybody's got one another in a headlock giving noogies like when in fifth grade or something? Maybe, but it probably means more than that. That might happen in your group. I'm not sure. No promises that won't. But but it, but it means taking an interest. It means being committed even in difficult times. When you have a brother when you're growing up and you live in the same house, I mean, you can't really just say, oh, you offended me. I'm out of here. I'm a 10 year old finding a new family. I am gone. I am done with you. Taking my baseball glove like that. You got to be kidding me. It's over. I mean, no, you're devoted. You're. You're stuck. I mean, you're together. You're working it out. You're family. I mean, you mess with my brother, you mess with me. That's a truth. We're connected. We're together. We have ups and downs. You know what? We fight sometimes. We laugh sometimes. We experience stuff together. Devotion with brotherly affection. Can we ask God to help us take initiative and look to take an interest and look to serve and look to display devotion, which says whether you're up or down, I'm with you. I'm committed to you, whether it's good or bad, I'm with you. May my investment be one of devotion. You know, one specific way a godly family relates with brotherly affection is by honoring one another. That's what he says here. Love one another with brotherly affection. That is a fam- familial love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. The NIV says, honor one another above yourselves. What what does that mean? How do we show honor to people? Because that's what genuine love looks like, showing, showing honor to others. I think there's a number of ways to show honor, to respect people. I think there's a lot of ways, but a primary way is through our mouths. We honor other people and we respect other people when we speak honorably and respectfully about them behind their backs. So when they're not there, our conversation is one of elevating our appreciation for them, our respect for them, the work of God in their lives. It's also by speaking in a way that's honorable and respectful to their face. It's certainly not by speaking one way behind their back and another way to their face. That's dishonoring. Gossip is dishonoring. That tears a person down. It doesn't build them up. And it tears the family down as well. But it's communicating. When you honor someone, like, what about like Mother's Day, Father's Day, you honor your parents? What, what's involved there? Well, usually gratitude, appreciation. But that's, that's honoring. So we honor when we communicate about people that way, when we communicate to people that way. There's even a place to do that in front of others. It's a place to do that in front of others. There's sometimes it's a family time where someone would express their honor, their father and mother in front of the siblings. That's appropriate. It's public. Now, we, we want to be careful about that. We want to ensure that in our small groups or in the life of the church, we're not flattering people. Uh, we want to ensure that we're not, you know, elevating them and worshiping them and painting some unrealistic picture about them uh, that's not real. But on the other hand, we do want to recognize God's work in their lives. And there's a place to outdo one another in showing honor. There's a place to speak honorably and with gratitude and appreciation and say, I I see God at work in your life here and I respect your response to him and I'm grateful for you. That's honoring. So outdo one another in showing honor. There may be a lot of ways to show honor, but one is through the words we speak. Gratitude, respect, encouragement. We want to have that as our family and as our lifestyle. That when you're around these people, this family speaks well of one another. There's a time to confront one another. There's time to clarify something. There's time to work something out. Absolutely. But the tone is always encouragement, love, respect. That's genuine love. Again, it's not a feeling. It's devotion like a family, devoted with our words, devoted with our affection. Because genuine love is family love. 
It's also, this is a very brief point here, but it's also fervent love or passionate love. The next verse, Vic's phrases here, I think they tie into the community. I think that contextually, and here's why. Because we just read this about brotherly affection, the family, etc. Then in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. We're talking about making material provision for the family. And then in between it, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Do you see what he's saying? First of all, don't be lazy. Do not be slothful in zeal. It's kind of a verse that reflects Galatians 6, 9, which is a well-known verse where Paul writes, let us not grow weary in well-doing, but be fervent in spirit. So ask God to help you to give you a passion to do what he calls us to do in relating to others. Don't be nonchalant. I could take it or leave it. That, that stuff about people, that stuff about love, eh, well, maybe I'd take that or leave that. No, he's saying being fervent. Give yourself in devotion to the care and service of other people. Don't grow weary in doing good. In view of God's mercy, in view of what Christ has done for us, that's the, that's the foundation. In view of Jesus' love for us, in view of Jesus' sacrifice for us, in view of the fact that God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and reconciled us to other people, in view of all of that grace that's been showered on us and all of that mercy, be zealous in serving the Lord which includes serving his people and in, in being fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope as difficulty comes, be patient and be prayerful at all times, constant in prayer. So there's this life of genuine love is characterized by an active fervency, an active fervency. Well, I don't feel that all the time. Me neither. But that's why I need to think about the gospel and allow the work of Jesus Christ for me to ruminate in my, my head, and my heart. I need to marinate in the truth of the gospel, to soften my heart and, and straighten my vision so that I see life with God's perspective, which is because of he gave himself for me. I'm to live as a living sacrifice, not earning his favor by giving myself to others, but because he's already had favor on me, giving my life to others. It's a passionate love. It's a family love. It's a sharing love. That's the next point. It's a sharing love. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You're in community with the people of God. Seek to contribute to their needs. The word contribute kind of has the idea of share. Seek to fellowship. Seek to share in the needs of others. I think one translation translates it share. Share in the needs of others. So the contributing to the needs of others is not a detached sort of deal. But it's a share in their needs. It's we're connected. And so I'm sharing in your need. And in sincere and genuine love, that's our heading. In genuine love, I'm seeking to help meet your need. Now, there is a place. I want to make this point again because it's very important. There's a place that we are to contribute to the needs of others outside of our church. There's not only a place for it. There's a big place for it. It's a theme of Scripture. It's the Great Commission to reach people with the gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, people this morning gave money to a mission fund to reach people that don't know the Lord that are outside of the church through church planting for, as, as one usage of that money. So we obviously believe in, in, in contributing to the needs, the Haiti fund, contributing to the needs of people that aren't Christians outside of us. Absolutely. A number of people in the church participated in the last two Saturdays in a ministry called Clothe a Child in Frisco. I was able to do that yesterday with some of you guys. Um, Meeting the needs of people. We didn't ask if you're a Christian. We asked, do you have a financial need and do your children need clothes? That's what qualifies you for benevolent care and reaching out. So that, that's absolutely a sign of the love of Christ. That's what that event, Clothe the Child, is about, to reflect the love of Jesus to the community. But what he's talking about here is to contribute to the needs, share in the needs of the saints. And, and it's talking about those with whom we are joined. Look at the context. Back at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Though many, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay? God saved us. He's joined us together. We have different gifts is what that passage was about. We're joined together. We're members of one another. So share in the needs of one another. Why? Because you're a member with them. 
You're connected with them. It's like a body. That's the illustration he uses. And you're connected. Just like a human body. That's the metaphor. So there's a knee and there's a thigh that are, you're connected together in the body. You're part of the same. So share the needs of those you're connected with and, 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 and joined together with. I think our membership, if I could use that phrase, because that's what he's talking about here, our being a member in the body is way more profound than any of us probably even think of. It's not like, like a member like we would think. We have church membership. But it's not like, uh, wait, you're in the database at Grace Church? You're a member there? And I'm in the database. We're both in the database. We're both members of Grace Church. I mean, that really doesn't stimulate a lot of warmth and care and heart for you to know that we share a database together. It's more that we've been joined together spiritually. We're one people. We're a family together. And so I want to contribute to your needs. You want to contribute to my needs because we share one another's needs. And genuine love makes other people's needs our needs. I think it's probably talking about financially there primarily. But I, I think there'd be ways to meet needs that aren't just financial. In other words, what if you say, well, I don't have finances. I can't contribute to the needs of someone else. I'm in a difficult situation. There's other ways to contribute to the needs of others. I mean, you can watch someone's child who's got a, got a baby or, or a little person, a toddler, a young person, elementary age, someone who can't watch themselves. Can, that's a contribute. Somebody has a need for someone to help them with their children. Um, or maybe you're handy and someone has a need in their home. They can't fix it. They don't know how to do it. You could help fix something um, as a way to express your needs or my needs. I'm contributing to help meet your needs. You get the idea. He further extends this by saying hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This could be housing of someone who's traveling. Certainly opening your home up. So they don't have to stay in a hotel or something. There's that kind of hospitality, but it extends much beyond that. Having a meal, cooking a meal for someone, having someone over, inviting someone into your house to be hospitable and share the love of Christ with them. A fellow believer that you're joined together with, seeking to serve practically with the stuff God's given you. God's entrusted material things to you, and so you can share those with others as they may have a need. Or you can show hospitality not only to those who have need, but just to others who are family, because families hang together and families eat together and families serve together and families experience life together. And so there is a sharing that goes on. Verse 14, I think this goes with verses 17 through 21, which I'm not covering. 17 through 21 is how do you relate to those uh, who persecute you? And so verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. I mean, look at uh, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. You see how he's talking about uh, relating with people outside of the church. I mean, I hope this is not your care group experience. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Hopefully persecution and curse is not uh, reflective of what's happening on Tuesday nights in the family room. But um, if it is, see us. Uh, I'll try to help you with that. But I don't think that's what he's talking. He's talking more about relating with those outside. And that comes in 17 through 21. Verse 15, again, we're talking about genuine love being a sharing love. Verse 15 Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, I'm very familiar with that verse. I, I've tossed that verse out randomly, loosely. And this week I really thought about this. This verse is very, very powerful in what's going on in this context. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What he's saying is have relationships among other Christians, with other Christians. Have relationships that are so meaningful, so genuine, so significant, so real that their experiences in life become your experiences in life. He's not saying you're not an individual. He's not talking about everybody's got to look exactly the same, dress exactly the same, be exactly the same. We're just, we can't even identify our individuality because we're just like this mob of people that are indistinguishable. That's not what he's talking about. But in your individuality, in the way that you may be different from others, 
still relate with others in such a way that their experiences are your experiences. Starting with when they have an experience of joy, that becomes your experience of joy. One commentator I read on this passage says that of everything listed in this passage of what it means to show genuine love, of everything in this passage that shows what it means to be a living sacrifice, walking out your life in community, building up the people of God, to love others sincerely, of everything in here, rejoice with those who rejoice may be the hardest one. That he said that the transformed life be transformed by the renewing of your mind, verse two of this chapter, that the transformed life in community is seen most clearly when we rejoice with those who rejoice, when we could be tempted to be envious and jealous of those who rejoice. This is where the gospel takes hold of a heart. This is where the love of God changes a heart so that we can express love to another person. So, for instance, you're single. And you desire to be married. You have desired to be married for a long time. And in your small group, someone gets engaged. And, and the temptation at that moment is to, yeah, put on the smile and do the right thing. I mean, you would never, when that's announced in the care group, go, oh, I can't believe it. What about me? I mean, nobody would do that publicly, but in our hearts. In our hearts. See, real, genuine love, life-transforming love, a heart that has been affected by the gospel, says your joy is my joy. We are members of one another, verse 5. We are connected. And so the fact that God has blessed you with a spouse and engagement, that's a blessing to the whole group. That's a blessing to the whole church. That's a provision of God. And I'm excited about that with you. And so I'm celebrating with you. Or a guy comes into the group and shares with the group a praise report. A good news. Good news. I got a promotion. So my job where I already was making like a lot of money, now I'm making like twice as much money and I'm working half as many hours and I, got a, I don't have to travel anymore and I got a bigger office and you know how it goes. So you're sitting over there without a job. So your full-time job has been trying to find a job and this guy has come in and shared the great news that now he will work less and make more and the hand of God is all over him. Now, that is a good thing that God blessed him that way. So rejoice with those who rejoice means your experience. We're in this together. We're in a community. And the fact that you're blessed with that better job where you can use your gifts better, where you'll have more income to use for the things that God calls you to use it for, where you'll have more time so that you can be with your family and be with us, that's great. So there's a joy in that. Someone in the group, shares that their child has, you know, had a breakthrough in some area that your child's struggling in. So, wow, their child's finally, their infant's sleeping through the night now. And yours sleeps through the, the day. And you're up all night. Well, I'm really happy for you, you know. I'll be praying and celebrating for you while I'm up all night, you know. Or maybe it's someone older. Your teen is wandering their teen is wandering from the Lord and they come to the care group. My, my, uh, my teenager got saved. Glorious. I mean, it could be a newborn through 25. This stuff works in our hearts so, so subtly and is there. It doesn't matter what age their kid is, what the situation is. So the reality is that, yes, I'm concerned for what's happening with my own children, newborn or teenager or 20-year-old, whatever it is. Yes, I'm concerned. I am to be concerned, but I'm also to share in life with you so that there's a rejoicing. Or maybe it's not their kid did this. Maybe it's they have kids and I want to have kids. And now they're sharing with the group they're pregnant again. I mean, that, that is a gut-wrenching, sensitive, challenging, difficult circumstance. Probably one of the most difficult circumstances of suffering is what I just described for people in their hearts. Yet somehow the gospel is so radical and the love of Christ so beyond description that it's possible for the Holy Spirit to work in someone's life that in the middle of their own unfulfilled longings, the Holy Spirit enables them to enter into someone else's joy. That's rejoice with those who rejoice and that's only explainable by the work of the gospel. That's the kind of community vision He's talking about here. Maybe, maybe someone's been asked to lead a ministry in the church. You've thought, you've prayed. I would love to do that ministry. I'd love to lead that ministry. And you have, you've had humble, 
heart, but you want to do that. And someone else gets asked to do that. Oh, well, that was like the thing I wanted to do. The gospel turns our hearts to rejoice and say, you know what? If you're fruitful in that role in ministry in the church, then the church is going to be fruitful. I'm going to be fruitful. We're all going to be fruitful. How can I get behind you? How can I help you? How can I serve you to be fruitful in that ministry? I have an interest in that area too. How can I serve with you? As opposed to, well, they didn't ask me. I had nothing to do with that. You see what I'm talking about? Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. This is not just some like Hallmark card slogan. Sending you to a card just to let you know. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. Like it's just some kind of flippant deal to toss out there. This is life. Guy in the church this week, I was talking with him. And I was talking with him on the phone. I was going to try to encourage and comfort him because he's going through a grief. He just lost someone, a family member. Family member just died. And so I, I was on the phone with him, and I just said, how are you doing? This is literally what I asked. I'm going to give you the rundown of the conversation. I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, you know, miss this person. Um, they're a Christian. I know what them, they're with the Lord. I'm comforted in that. And then immediately, this is what he went into. My small group has served me incredibly. And he used the word community. He said, what we've been talking about, community, I'm experiencing it. People are helping me. People are calling me. People are praying for me. People are with me in the small group. And this is what he said. I don't know how anyone goes through something like this without people with them to go through it with them. I echo that. How do you go through a, a devastating death and a loss to someone around you? It's never easy. But God puts people in the church. His plan, his goal is that they come around and that we weep with those who weep. What does that mean? Your loss affects me. Now, obviously, if your spouse dies, the care group isn't going to feel about it as deeply as you do, of course. But there is an entering in and, an, and a sense so that, you know what? While you're waiting for the diagnosis, I'm waiting too. I'm praying. It matters. I'm thinking about it. I'm checking my email and my phone and I'm praying because I want to know what, what are the test results. That's community. How did the job interview go? We're praying as a care group. I want to know, how, did you get the job? I'm with you. That's what he's talking about. Your experience is my experience. And that is foreign to some of us. And if it is, I've got great news for you. I believe the Lord has that for you. I believe God has a solidarity in, our, in the church where as a body we're members of one another, verse 5, that we really can genuinely share other people's joys and we really can genuinely walk through other people's suffering in community. It is a grand vision. It is a big vision. It is something that is beyond everyone here. You want to talk about big, life-altering stuff? This is big stuff. This verse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. To walk that out in life is huge. It's more than huge. It's impossible if God does not work in my heart, if the gospel does not take root in my soul, and if the Holy Spirit does not change my mindset so that I want to be about what God is about here. But I believe this is God's will. Sometimes you wonder, what's God's will for my life? I believe this is a command. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I don't know where God's calling you to live. I don't know who God's calling you to marry if you're single. I don't know what job God is calling you to take. There's a lot of decisions. I have no idea what God's will is for you. But I do know this, that God wants your love to be genuine and he wants you to be connected with people such that you could say, I'm rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and I'm weeping with those who are weeping. I do know God wants that for every one of us. And and. It may be a ways off. It may be a, it may be a season, a process to get there. But God calls each of us to throw ourselves into that grand vision. It gives us something to expect from God, something to work towards, something to apply ourselves to, something to invest our lives in that really, really matters. It's, being con- it's not like just being connected to people is like a fringe benefit. It's what God's called us to in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what he has for us. And it's never easy. 
But it's a joy to experience this kind of life. And I believe God, again, has that for us. Here's the last thing. It's not only a family love. It's not only a fervent love. It's not only a shared love, but it's a humble love. Look how he closes verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. This is where the gospel can really be on display in a church. See, all the stuff God does in a church body, it's for his glory. It's for the good of his people. But it's always also to reach a lost and dying world. We're not just about a club here where everybody can feel good about what our religion or whatever. We're about glorifying the Lord with our lives. We're about building our lives together. And we're about his mission. That's mission as, as well, by the way. But we're about the external mission as well which is reaching those who don't know him. And this, this is one of the most compelling testimonies. When people live in harmony with one another, verse 16. When they're not haughty, but associate with the lowly, when they're never conceited. See, the church, there's not to be classes in the church. In the world, there's classes. There's evaluations. There's levels. There's the wealthy and the sort of wealthy and the not wealthy and the poor. And they rarely are together. In the culture, there's the really smart people and the not-so-smart people, and they're rarely hanging out together. There's people with this interest, and there's people with that interest, and they're all sort of together. But there's, there's levels. There are those who are socially awkward and inept, and there's those who are socially adept, and they usually don't find themselves in the same groups. In the culture, there are cliques which join around a common interest or join around a common status or join around, I'll feel better about me if I'm acknowledged with you, you guys, y'all, this group, whatever. This is what he says. Hey, live in harmony, every one of you. Different, different gifts, different. He's not saying everybody be the same, talk the same, use the same buzzwords as I talked about at the beginning. I mean, we have some buzzwords around here that are just uh, not intentionally, but we kind of say and pick up. And we really should be able to laugh at ourselves about that, frankly. We kind of say some of the same stuff sometimes. But it's not intentional. We're not trying to mold everybody. We're just sometimes commonality and you, you pick up phrases or whatever. But, you know, that's not the goal. Is he using the right phrases to show like he's really into Grace Church? Who cares? We're not trying to do that. We're trying to use the phrases of the Bible is what we're trying to do. Be real. So it's not look the same, have the same interests, talk the same, wear the same clothing. You know, everybody be exactly the same. It's like in your differences, get along and live in harmony with people who are different. Anybody can act like everybody else and get along with the people they're just like. The gospel makes people that are different with different preferences and different backgrounds live in harmony together with a genuine love. And the root of that is humility. There is no harmony without humility. Verse 16, uh, this is what he says. Do not uh, be in, live in harmony with another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Jesus associated with the lowly. And he calls us to do the same. Never be conceited. The word conceited means to be wise in one's own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. How does that hinder community? Well, a lot of ways. First of all, you will not even get into community relationships. You will not ever walk out the one another's if you're wise in your own eyes. You know, he says up in verse three, don't think of yourself uh, more highly than you ought. If, if I think of myself more highly than I ought, I'll see no need for this. I don't need other people. I don't need anybody else involved with me. I'm doing just fine. I like me. I'm crazy about me. I have a club for me and me is okay. I don't need anybody else out there. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be bothered. I don't see my need for community, both for others to invest in me when I think that way, my need to invest in others and to use my gifts, and my need to reflect the work of Jesus Christ by being part of community. The very reason Jesus gives his life he dies on the cross in our place as our substitute so that our sins may be forgiven if we believe in him. And so that we're not only reconciled with the father, but we're reconciled with one another. So the goal of my life is to live pleasing to him. And part of that is to be a witness to what he's done by being joined with other believers. If I'm conceited, that is, if I'm wise in my own eyes, I'll never see a need for that. I've got a better plan than God. I don't need this passage of Scripture. I'm doing just fine with my own brand 
of isolated, independent, personally cultivated Christianity. I don't need what God prescribes. That is haughty, that is arrogant, that is foolish. And it's a way to waste our lives. But the reality is, He calls us to be together. Well, that's kind of hard. That's awkward. That's work. Yes, amen. All the above is true. It is hard. It is awkward. It is work. But you know what? Why don't we all be awkward together about it? Why don't we just all get our awkward little selves together and why don't we say, God, we need help. Would you change our hearts with a vision of you and your purposes so that, so that this is our reality in an increasing way? Well, yeah, but we might not get along. The Bible's got stuff to say about that. When we don't get along, here's how we work it out. Here's how we get reconciled. The Bible has plenty to say about how to do that. Well, I, what if I don't like the people? Well, what if God changes your heart? Do you think God likes the people? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, what if God gave you his heart for the people? Well, they're not really reaching out to me and caring for me. The verse didn't say, verse 9, ensure that others love you genuinely. Ensure, verse 10, that others love you and that they show brotherly affection to you. Ensure that others honor you. That's not what the scripture says. It says you love them. God will take care of the rest. This is happening in wonderful ways throughout our church. I could tell stories. I'm, my time's up. I'm wrapped up right here. I could tell you stories. I, uh, contributing to the needs. I know of situations where behind the scenes people have... It probably doesn't stay behind the scenes because of the nature of the gift. But someone gives a vehicle to someone who needs one. That's significant contribution. Like a nice vehicle. Because someone doesn't have a vehicle. I've seen that happen in our church. I've seen people extend themselves and sacrifice to be with people, help others, love others. I've seen people get reconciled when there was an offense and a difference. I've seen that happen in our church. The story I just told about the guy who lost his relative, that's happening. So these things are happening in our church, but I know God's got more for us. I know God's calling some of us to jump in, and I know God's calling others of us to jump in further, and I believe God's calling all of us to grow in love for him and others based on the gospel. Not going to be rosy. It's not always an easy thing, but it's the best thing and it brings God's glory and it's the way to ensure that our lives are invested in a wise way so that God builds his people and then thrusts us out as well in our community and beyond so that others know him because they'll know they're Christians by their love for one another is what the Bible says. So let love be without hypocrisy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you are a loving God, that you have sent the Savior, Jesus Christ, that you have joined us to yourself. You've reconciled us to yourself. We're so grateful for that. And I just want to ask God that you would um, touch all of our hearts to be drawn to you and your purposes, that we would have faith that you could change us where necessary and that we could experience, we could give of ourselves, we could be on mission to love others by your power and by your grace. Thank you for the glorious things you've done in this church in five years. It's beyond what we anticipated. Lord, we pray in the coming five years you would do way beyond what we anticipate as well. May no one be left out. May no one be marginalized in this family. May all be welcomed and loved as you love. Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.